If you let others be who they are for themselves and let yourself be who you are for yourself, this is love. The rest is distortion. Ra Uhuru. So the big question is, how do women over 40 like us keep weight off, have great energy, balance our hormones and our moods, feel sexy and confident, and master midlife? If you're like most of us, you're not getting the answers you need and remain confused and pretty hopeless to ever feel like yourself again. As an OBGYN, I had to discover for myself the truth about what creates a rock-solid metabolism, lasting weight loss, and supercharged energy after 40 in order to lose 100 pounds and fix my fatigue. Now, I'm on a mission. This podcast is designed to share the natural tools you need for impactful results and to give you clarity on the answers to your midlife metabolism challenges. Join me for tangible natural strategies to crush the hormone imbalances you're facing and help you get unstuck from the sidelines of life. My name is Dr. Kieran Dunstan. Welcome to the Hormone Prescription Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Hormone Prescription with Dr. Kieran. Thank you so much for joining me today. You are going to love, love, love my guest today, Nancy Chen. I heard her on a podcast a few months ago. And I absolutely loved her and had to talk to her. And she's now become my human design analyst and consultant and all things human design. She's my go-to woman. She just has a beautiful spirit, a beautiful understanding of humanity and human design. And she's got a lot to share with you about human design, can, how it can help you balance your hormones, cultivate self-love, and so many other things that we're going to get into. We're going to get into that quote that I shared at the beginning. If you let others be who they are for themselves and let yourself be who you are for yourself, this is love. The rest is distortion. From the founder of human design, Ra Uhuru. We're going to talk about that and other quotes from him and her teacher, Alokanan Diaz. And really, what is human design? I know some of you are going thinking right now, what is human design? So I'll tell you briefly, Nancy is a very in-depth thinker, and she presents topics so beautifully and in-depth, but I do want to back up and give you a little bit of an intro before we jump into it, then I'll tell you a little bit about Nancy, then we'll get started. So human design is basically a system that describes how each individual runs energy in their bodies and how they are designed to run energy. So just like you have a physical anatomy to your body, right? You have a liver, you have a gastrointestinal tract, you have hair on your head. Most people have two hands with 10 fingers, right? You have physical anatomy. We have an energetic anatomy. Some of you may have heard of the seven chakra system, but actually that seven chakra system evolved about 400 years ago to be a nine centered chakra system or energy system. And there are many different so-called gates in this system. And there's an actual anatomy to what it looks like. And you may have certain parts defined in your human design and you may have certain parts undefined, but all of this defines how your energy body works, what its characteristics are, and how it should function optimally. This is very much tied into your hormonal system. These nine centers, just like with it when we were seven centered, tie into different hormones in your body. So if you have disruptions in how you're running energy or not running energy in these nine centers, that will affect your hormones. So it can affect your female hormones. It can affect your cortisol stress hormone. It can affect your thyroid hormone. So you're going to want to listen up because we're going to 
dive into that and what are some considerations that you might have. So just like I always explain to you that you don't want to kill the messenger, don't kill the symptoms that are telling you where the problem is by suppressing these symptoms with a drug or surgery, you want to look at where the symptoms are pointing and find the underlying root cause. And part of that underlying root cause has to do with your energy anatomy. And are you following (laughs) and honoring your design and your authority or not? And if you don't know about what your design is, then you probably are not honoring it and honoring your decision-making authority and honoring the way your body runs energy. And this is going to affect your hormones and your health. So this is why it's vital for you to have this information. So we're going to dive into it. Nancy dives in the deep end. She swims in the deep end. So if you don't understand everything that she says and we talk about, it's okay. You'll get some more information. Maybe check out her website and learn a little bit more about human design and it will all start to make sense. So Nancy Chen, this is what she says that I'm going to share with you in her intro. She, for the first 30 years of her life, had every reason to be happy, yet she was unhappy. She had a deep-rooted sense of unworthiness to seek love and a delusion of who she thought she should be, and it directed her trial and error journey from childhood to motherhood to divorce, and maybe some of you can relate. No matter what level of she had achieved in life, no matter how glamorous her masks were as a role model for others, the suffocation and despair of prostituting who she was for who she was not, enslaving for others' identity in order to prove her value of existence continued to strike her from time to time. That is until the human design system demystified every coping mechanism for her unnecessary struggle deconstructed her illusion for how and why she suffered the way she did, and finally empowered her to see what is already there, has always been there, acceptance and joy in effortlessly being different as me. Welcome, Nancy Chen, to the Hormone Prescription Show. Thank you, Karen. I'm so glad to be here. So I told everyone in the intro, you know, that I heard you on the Human Design Collective podcast, and I just had to talk to you. I actually just published an episode last week with a colleague of mine who I just discovered uses human design with her clients to help with their health. And so I'm super excited to have you here to help everyone understand the basics. What is human design? And then we'll kind of get into the details. Why is this important for your health? But maybe let's just start with a little bit about you because you weren't always a human design analyst. So how did this come into your life and how has it changed your life, informed your life, and maybe even your health too? Long story, (laughs) but I tried to cut it short. So for me, human design... (laughs) It's very interesting if you look at the words human and design, in a way, how much we were taught to be a human or we were just taught to be designed to be the idealistic human that we probably will not even know what that really means. The question of who am I truly, why it becomes a mystery or why it becomes a confusion? Because there is who am I truly for me versus who am I truly for we, for them for the world. So there seems to be this conflicting, I would say, the idealism or illusions for me, I guess for lots of people too, brought up with. So for me, human design, I love how my teacher Alok India said, 
is a human resign. If we can resign the learning part, the programming, the conditioning of how we were being brought up to be the idealistic human but lost our uniqueness. We become the homogenized human as everyone else. We lost our body. The body is different. Every leaf on the tree is different. Every flower blossoms differently. And every moment of sun has a different position. So as us, as human, this human body. So that's for me, the resign part is for me, the resign of the mental structure of who I think I should be, must be, have to be as my identity or role. So for me, in human design language, I would say I was born with this undefined G center, which I had no idea who I can love for myself. I was always a seeker, a lover for seeking, a lover for truth, but never know what truth was really meant for me and for me. It was the truth for everyone else told me what was the truth and I have to experiment and try it out. So there was always what I say, the first 30 years of my life, I prostitute for who I, who I am, for who I was not at all. So I tried every way that I thought, oh, if I get that, I can be happy. If I'm successful enough in whatever it is, material or relationship, whatever, I might be happy. But no, it was, the fact didn't prove that to me. So at the end, I think after all different pathway tracing for different, whether it's a certification as a pathway, knowledge as a power as a pathway, with all different training, finally I came to human design. So it started to offer me this mechanic of hey, this is the body, you have the body, <laughs> and you are your, we say, the inner authority, which means basically, can you just relax in your body and trust in life, where life is going to bring what's going to happen to you? But it's very funny, we're so trusting in what we were taught. We're so having the fear to fail or the fear of what if, what if, but that what if is our imaginary reality. So for me, human design is like their system, logical system, demystify all the beliefs, the schools of knowledge in all kinds of ways for me. But basically, if you want to come down to the basic reality, I would I say human design is something, is a system that helped me to resign, resign my disability <laughs> to connect to myself or the disability to be my human, to meet my daughter, my mother from a human to human level. But rather I meet them from, oh, I'm the daughter, I should do this for you. I'm the mother, I tell you this, so you have to follow me. So stop living from the identity of who I identify myself as, but they never gave me the sense of satisfaction or my true value which is not value to be compared with anyone, but my true uniqueness or, hey, I'm leaving me, I'm breathing me, and this is me. And so this is a human design for me, yeah. Yeah, so for everyone listening, um, hopefully you hear in what Nancy's sharing, what you might be dealing with, what a lot of women who come to me for help with their health are dealing with, but it doesn't seem like the pressing problem, but something that I teach you when you do one of my programs like the Hormone Bliss Challenge or any of my Midlife Metabolism Institute programs is that it's about more than your health, your physical health, right? We like to separate our physicality from our energy, mental, emotional, spiritual being, these intangible aspects of us. But eventually, if you confront your physical ailments, you're going to come to the place 
if you're doing it right, where you're going to have to confront a lot of things about your spirituality, emotionality, your thinking processes, and the way you function and operate in the world. And this has been true for me. It's true for every woman I've ever worked with. So what I want you to hear and just point out in what she's sharing is that, and maybe you can relate, you've been the person you thought that you needed to be to get the love, attention, connection from everybody else in the world. But for most of us who have health challenges that alienated us from ourselves and our bodies, and then we have health problems that call us back into our body and back to a true understanding of ourselves. I hope I said that well. Nancy, can you just succinctly tell everyone, like if you were saw someone at the supermarket and they said, well, what's human design? What would you say very succinctly to help them understand what that is? Living authentically as yourself. <laughs> That's it. Living authentically <laughs> as yourself. And so it's a system of, who did I hear on a podcast today talking about it? And they basically said something like, it's how your energy body operates and how you need to operate correctly for yourself. Does that make sense? Does that sound right? Yes, yes. So I think what you say is referring to the more mechanical, like say we have, or we'll say the body as organism, mechanical organism, but it's biological, it has got everything in it, but everything waving with each other. So there is a, we talk about, if you want to go into analysis of human design, there is this hormone, chemistry, DNA. So analyzing how they interwaving each other as abstract art for you, only you, you are very unique. So that's why there is no homogenizer treatment for every disease. There is only unique treatment for each individual. So it needs to be biodiverse. So human design really for me is like address that aspect of, hey, maybe there is nothing wrong with you. But what you thought was wrong and you use all kinds of intervention or coping mechanism, even treatment as a coping me mechanism or intervention, they might override the true existing signal the body is calling you hey pay attention there is something here you are not satisfied like for my example i had or say the first 30 years i had all the issues with my menstrual cycles i had ovarian cancer actually at a very yeah. early stage of my pregnancy first child and i had to go through operation to take the look the thing out so it was very interesting to see for me to realize for all the first 30 years, even though with my background in Chinese medicine, my grandfather was a very good Chinese medicine doctor. Through my childhood, I have been taking a lot of intervention, means medicines or treatments, constantly to correct something that was even not even wrong yet, <laughs> you know, at an early stage. You understand what I mean? It's like, okay, I feel pain. Okay, let's take this to prevent mm -hmm. that happen. But then for me, what I saw was it never addressed the underneath issue. Why was my menstrual pain there at the first place? Why was there the issue I had my period shut down for like five years in their sort of early teenager life? I had all the eating disorder issue. I had all the issue with my mothers and confrontation of conflict, all the emotional overwhelms, that nervousness in me. So there's many things in there I was never paying attention to. So I simply goes with, okay, taking the hormone pills, you know, go with that or this to make the period regulate. But it ended up to be no. So it was like a snowboarding, <laughs> snowboarding, and then it just grew up to be a mess until I realized, give me a shock. So 
it's like the body will tell you all the signal at the very beginning. But the more I use any coping mechanism, whether it's medications or intervention, any kind of thing, even, you know, therapy, it can be, you know, meditation, therapy, anything can be a coping mechanism. So you're still trying to run away from your truth. That truth might be not be comfortable for you to confront. And that is normally something to do with the psyche. We can say epigenetic, psychological, mental, emotional body, something that is there. You are not facing your fear, the fear of meeting the unlovability between you and your mother, for my case. The fear of my issue with my daughter. I don't know how to be a mother for, for them. I'm very cold. So there is something about, oh, how I couldn't live up to their social norms or being a normal person. So I try to use every ways to make myself normal, but inside it was not. So that's all the issues that body tells me what's going on, what was not okay. Yeah. Did I listen to it? Yeah. It's, it's so, I love that example. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sorry you went through that. And the body is, I always say that symptoms are not a sign that you need a medication to get rid of the symptom, right? That's Western corporate medicine. Symptoms are the signpost pointing to the problem, but if you medicate away the symptom, you no longer have the signpost telling you where the problem is. And so the goal that I use when I work with women is let's look at all the symptoms and let's find the underlying cause. And yes, there's some physicality to those symptoms, but also this this energy design and you know what I discovered I'm just not even a year into my journey with human design is that I've been operating incorrectly most of my life and so if I'm operating incorrectly then my energy isn't free to flow in the way that it wants to flow and how intricately this is associated with all of my endocrine organs so everybody listening that's your hormones and how i burn out my adrenals so many times and have you know difficulties like in the throat chakra and different areas that are so common for women so this body graph that kind of describes how your energy is set to run for you personally, not like anybody else, right? Out of 8 billion people is so unique to you and really informs how your hormones run. And so an essential part of looking at your hormonal balance is really looking at this. So are there other examples you can think of to help some women understand what that might look like? Like I see a lot of women with adrenal fatigue. Can we mm. talk about that? Mm -hmm. Human design? Uh -huh. Yes. So if you talk about adrenal, there is many places we say on the body graph or human design body graph you can look at. But one of the things you can say, okay, hormones, we talk about sacral center, we talk about the root center. But basically, it's very interesting. 70% of population, they say we have a defined sacral center, which means people have a consistent energy. They're meant to have a consistent energy, like energy resource or bank to run and to cope with life, to build life. But then the other, you know, the rest are not consistent. But it doesn't mean we don't have, we have everything. But the thing is, when we talk about the root center, there is this stress hormones or this pressure to cope with the speed, the fastest speed of the world is operating or to, okay, there is a deadline, there is this, at a certain age, you do certain thing, okay. There's all kinds of pressure, like the pressure to feel the pressure for attachment, for feeling, feeling for desire, for need, for support. And there is this pressure 
the feel for we say, mm, how would I say it? There is a feel for survival. Okay, material survival. How do I survive? Fear of tomorrow, fear of failure. So there is many strings of pressures that is operating there. And then the thing is, what is true for the other is not necessarily true for you. And the whole world has, is like a fast running speed machine. From especially we say the four hundred years of we say the uh, we say the cross of planning or the advance of technology, it's almost we feel like the human need to compete with machine <laughs> with all the new inventions going on, and then also this advanced technology makes us believe, hey, we can have the free will. There, one of the biggest needs is the free will to just manifest out to to create something that we are not animals, we are not the nature, we are not the trees, we are not flower. We can be the top of the hierarchy, the the, the train, the survival train. So that creates so much thing for us. You talk about adrenal. Animals have adrenal. You know, it's if you look at the chart of animal chart, animal have adrenal, has sacral. But they are not like us. When they rest, they rest. <laughs> they don't work just because they mind. They, they don't have the conceptualized mind as we do. But we think our mind can give us a free will <laughs> by, you know, creating all the things. But then we create the things to kill ourselves again. <laughs> this funny thing, kill, you know, AI and all the things. Then we feel the threat. So something just coming back to that, when you talk about something very beautiful about the voice, connecting to, in human design, say the voice connecting to the sacral center. If we talk about sacral center, we talk about ovary, we talk about sexual organs. But then the thing is, if you think about, especially female in particular, for <laughs> over thousands of years, how much has female's voice been heard? You know, it's only until we say sexual revolutions, 60, 70, there is certain things, you know, happens in a different way, say different global cycle. There is a female say, hey, you can be out there. But there also becomes another thing. We talk about the feminism movement, but then how much women we're trying to be the same as men. There is this competitiveness of ego saying, hey, if I'm strong enough like you, I earn the same as you, then I can manifest, then I'm valuable. But at the same time, the question to ask is, are they really happy? Are you really happy with what you do? It's very basic. We can do everything to be compatible with everyone else, to catch the speed with everyone else. For women to say, hey, if I'm good enough, then I have a voice to show. Okay, then I can, if I become stronger, my strong power can support the weak. There is nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, we talk about human rights, but there is no human rights, but only individual rights. The individual rights means, Hey, if I'm in pain, I can yell. I can say, hey, I'm painful. I can be honest with you, sharing my pain with you. That is a weak. We're sharing the weakness together in this. So that is what my understanding of the what is called female power is that the individual rights, we don't stand for so-called human rights. You know, by what? By which country that is human rights? Okay, let's go back to the beginning. What is individual rights? Can I speak my truth? From sacral response, if this moment you ask me something, I say, mm -mm, I don't want to eat that. If mom said, can you eat this, eat this. When the parents forcing a children to do something, it's not really truly they want. How much of us being forced, being fed the food, we didn't even wanted it, you know, very early from beginning. So especially if you come back to a female, how much of the female, we have this epigenetic pain or womb. We are so afraid 
to even speak up. If we don't feel worthy enough, we cannot release our voice. Hormone is to be released. It's like everything coming to the throat, the thyroid is something to be released from a truthful communication. But how many of the communication really has got the truth in it? How many people are faking, saying the things other people want to hear so that we can just pretend everything's okay, we have peace. But how, how many family, the dogma in the family, the pain, we just you know, cover it under the ground. So that's what I see, the disconnection between our throat to our physical body's true authentic expression from our sacral center, the root center. The root center, we cannot share our pain. Basically, we don't share our pressure survival, pressure to be a mother, pressure to be a wife, pressure to be relationship, or pressure to be out of relationship, you know, pressure to do something you don't want to be in a relationship you don't want to be. But you wake up, you think I'm going to divorce. Like for me, there was like a 12 years in my life. I thought, oh, I woke up. Every message my splenic center tells me is like divorce, divorce, divorce. And I stayed. <laughs> I stayed mm-hmm. for my own belief of, hey, I, I, I need to have a father for my children. You know, how can I survive without it? So it's very funny how the body speaks the truth. By my voice, I wake up, I pretend, I smile, I make the food for my family. I pr- pretend there is a peace there. So no wonder, you know, there is a distortion. My voice was never a voice for me. So there is something there. Create the hormones was not being balanced. It can never be balanced, you know. Without truth, what can be balanced? So in between love and truth, it's very funny. You think love is true, but there is a conflict between the problem or say the dogmatic belief of what love is. Love as a sacrifice, love as a tribal needs. You do this for the service. I sacrifice you for your children. You grow up, you you feed me. But how many of us, you know, we witness, oh, children grow up and they say goodbye. And then mother leave, left out with the beatings. You know, how much there is this tribal love that we propagated by to think we should hold on to that tradition. And then there is other different kind of love out there. So the very interesting thing is the moment you speak the truth, you realize the mystery or the fakeness in love disappeared. So when love ends a lot of time, when relationship ends, you realize that truth gets revealed. If we put out all our mm, darkness on the table in the family situation, hey, that's a truth. Can we heal from it, grow from it? Can we speak the voice? That's our hormones, the adrenal, the stress and pressure can be shared and released with each other. And then we survive together, weak support, weak. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you know, I just saw the movie The Little Mermaid and the the line, I love that movie and they remade it. And I, I said, why are they remaking it? And then I had to go see it and it was amazing is, you know, you shouldn't have to lose your voice to be heard. That's the line from the movie. Mm. And, you know, thyroid problems are epidemic in women. Millions of women have it. We're 80% of the people with thyroid problems are women. And how many of us, like you say, we don't speak our truth. We try to be pleasing, right? We can't be angry. We can't be bitchy. We can't say what we really think and be honest. And what I I want everyone listening to hear is that, you know, part of you healing your thyroid is getting honest and speaking the truth, not only speaking it physically, but living your truth, right? The actions that you take and then the adrenals are another one. And the, how, how do um, female hormones from the ovaries, like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, 
oftentimes show up from human design? Is there a way from the body graph that you could tell somebody might have problems with that or what might be some problems they would experience that they might need to address? Can you talk a little bit about that? It can be very simple just from human design perspective. When we look at the mm-hmm. sacral, the incorrectness, if you live incorrectly, basically, <laughs> you're definitely uh-huh. going to have issues. So for one thing is, very obvious is if you cannot be selfish, <laughs> if you cannot, if you have the fear to be self-centered, when we say selfish or self-centered, we say self-empowered in you being you. And also let the world see you. Not having the, we say, it's not saying you try not to have fear. Well, we have the fear of the world will reject us. If I show up as me, I speak my truth. If I leave my truth. Well, what are those people in the past that are going to see me as? Mm-hmm. There is this fear in that. So that's an interesting thing is we live in a double identity. So one part of us trying to be the selfless, and then the other part, the body wants to be self, not say self-centered, but the body just wants what it wants. It's very honest. I'm hungry. I need this. I need this. Um, I need that. I need that. But our mind or our voice does not deliver that. So something being lost in the transmission. And then what you see very commonly when we say we look at the self-integration circuit, how many people, they, they live in their truth, being criticized or being judged. How much we even, even me, I used to judge my daughter, my older daughter. She has got this very self-centered in a good way design. Just means she speaks her truth. She, she wants what she wants. And she will say no to what she, she doesn't want. That's good. But I wasn't educated in that way. I was educated in a selfless way. Hey, you need to love your neighbor, love everyone else. So <laughs> I judge her, you know. So I still judge her. I was like, oh, the thought still comes. Why is she so self, self selfish? But then she doesn't have the, uh, like when she was in her men- first menses and period, I, I, I witnessed her. She doesn't have the same problem as me when I grew up <laughs> with menstrual cycle. So it was very clear. But then my other projector daughter, she's very much about focusing on the other, trying to please others, sensitive, taking care of everyone else. But she doesn't really have the sense of focus on herself by her design. So they have to be treated differently. But for me, what I see is, wow, I actually judge people who love themselves. You know, how much we, me, for undefined ego, I feel this envy for people. Wow, they're so self-empowered, you know? So basically, those are the people they have, uh, when I witness my clients, when they have this self-empowered, living authenticity, they actually don't have that much hormone mess up. Ah, yes. There is like a masculine and female in their body fighting with each other. No, 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 no. I should be female. No, no, no. I, I, I should be more strong. No, no, no. They don't have that. They just be them. There is this balance of father and mother within themselves. They honor both. They respect both. But for people like me, say if I was not being educated in their way, well, ooh, I fight. I attack myself. I beat up my own mother and I beat up my own father. So Inside that's yourself. Very, inside myself. So it's like, I love, there is a statement I love is, the father is the word, the mother is the life. So the father is what you look outside 
or just as a metaphor, the mother is your own life, is a private life. But if you look at the hormones, the, the female hormone, we think about the mother inside of ourselves. How many of us even allow us ourselves to nurture, nourish ourselves? It's not there. <laughs> we will not. How many females we disregard our own self-nurturing? So we will not even being a mother for ourselves. And then given how many of us truly have the role model mother who can really be self-empowered? And we witness our sacrificing mother or ignorant father. <laughs> you know, they're out of the world, but they don't really know who they are too. So there is something about we've, we're constantly fighting our life against the world or we're trying to obey, change our life to obe be obedient to the world. But then we didn't realize the homogenized world is the world it is. There's nothing we do or not do to change it. But our life is our life. That's something we can do. We can say, have a say. And for sacral center, it's all about what you do defines who you are. So are you happy in what you do? Simple. If you are satisfied, mm, you are nurturing you know, your sacral center. Are you struggling for something that is truly worthwhile for you, that is truly of purpose only to you, not that need to matter to anyone. Does Do you leave the truth that really matter to you, that you don't need to demonstrate your truth to anyone else? Then your voice, you can give a break to your throat. You don't need to go out and yell to the one, the world, say, hey, hello, listen to me. You know, this is my truth. Everyone follow me. No, when you leave your truth, you don't care. It's like, it's not saying you don't need to deal with the world. It's just saying when you leave your truth, then you see what the life brings you, how the life might, yeah, change the relationship between your life and the world. And that is what mm -hmm. I see there. Basically for me, I see the hormone as a female and the male hormones, how they can be in harmonious relationship with each other without, without needing to be the same. Disagree, you know, agree to disagree. Oh, we don't fight against each other. We don't need to be the same with each other. We can allow there's diversity within the similarity. You know, what I observe with so many women I work with is that this this belief that, well, it, this is the way the world works. I have to work this way. Life is hard. There's a money shortage. I can't live my truth, even though I have this dream to do this other thing. Judging other women who do go their own way, right? Mm -hmm. So there's just all this condition beliefs. And I... I ask people to start questioning what they believe, and I find that there's a great relux reluctance to do so. You've obviously followed your own path, your own unique path. I've followed mine, and there are many people mm. who have chosen that. How does somebody wake up out of kind of the delusion that they're living and realize that, oh, I'm living a life that I didn't really want, but I'm just doing it because I thought that was my only choice? Do you understand what I'm saying? The word waking up, you can only wake up by yourself. We only wake up from our dream, from ourselves. We cannot be wake up by anyone else. <laughs> so we all know, like say from for me, from the therapeutic backgrounds, even myself too, for over decades, I learned all their Buddhism beliefs and there is a lot of intellectual learning. I use knowledge as a power to ignore my truths. 
I can appear to be awakened, but I was so sleeping. <laughs> I was sleeping just like everyone else. But I just put, we say, the enlightenment trap, the enlightened spirituality kind of uh, another mask to super ego, you know. So there is something between the comfort, the stability, how much we want to feel, okay, even there is a pain, there is a suffering, but there is still the sense of manageable pain manageable suffering. Okay, I'm very familiar with the pain. And almost we are very addictive to the suffering because we get so used to it, whether it's from childhood, even from how we witness our mother. Oh, our mother suffered, but our mother was okay. She's alive and she knows she's finding coping mechanisms to deal with her conditioning. So we become the one addicted to certain pattern of suffering. And we actually do find our stability, security, there is a very interesting love and hate relationship with suffering. One part we say we hate it, but the other part we are so addicted to it <laughs> because that suffering makes us feel we are actually so alive. Whether the aliveness is because epigenetic you feel alive because you are repeating something your mother did or your father did. It makes us feel so connected with, hey, I'm here in the same pathway with my parents and maybe one day I can be the one, save the womb they couldn't save for their life. There is something psychological department they're trying to deal with their part of healings. But then just coming back to it, it was this fear of the fear. What if you step outside the comfort zone? Because a lot of us, we don't imagine, we can't imagine, we never seen the model before. One day mother step outside of suffering. How was, how is she going to, when we're out of the prison, actually there is so much fear of out of the prison. <laughs> we rather stay in the prison that we get so used to it. We get so used to it. So for me, it was a very clear example of, I can only speak my own experience was the moment I'm just suffering enough. <laughs> when I see, hey, I learned everything to suffer. I learned all the coping coping mechanism. Any religion still tells me to suffer. Any non-duality teaching, even you know, all the modern new age duality teaching, they still teach me, hey, keep so suffering. If you change, your relationship with the world will be changed. Everyone is fine. If something's still wrong with you, you need to fix yourself. You still need to improve yourself <laughs> to be a better version of you, to cope with the mess outside the world that was actually misaligned with your true identity. You lived in the movie that you you thought you were the director, but you directed a very bad movie that wasn't really making you happy. So are you okay to leave the theater, recreate a movie in another theater? So that is about the fear. We didn't never, we never seen a model of for our past or our family, they did it. So the normally is the moment when we saw the other person. I remember for me, it was like, oh, the other moment I saw another person who did it, that gave me some courage to say, hey, maybe I can also empowered myself by me looking at another person who also self-empowered in themselves. So in a way, we don't really preach each other to wake up, but we empower ourselves to be a model, authentic model for us, and then we can empower the other. Potentially, I guess it's always about the timing. Is the timing yet? Are they suffering enough yet? Means, I don't say everyone needs to be suffered to wake up. I just means sometimes it's just saying you come to a phase. There is no other way. There's no more coping mechanism you can use anymore. <laughs> and life throw you into the place, black hole. Okay, I'm up no matter what. <laughs> okay. And so one of the gifts that understanding my human design 
And anybody you can, there are certain websites you can go to to create a free chart and get some basic information. We'll have that information in the show notes. We'll also have a link to Nancy's website. And one of the greatest gifts it's given me is understanding of the ways in which I've always known I was different that I didn't understand why. And I thought there was something wrong with me. And then with my understanding my human design, I realized, oh no, I was intentionally made that way. And it gave me this permission to love my differences. And so can you help everybody understand how human design really is a pathway to self-love? I think it's about, uh, you know, I would say everyone has a different pathway to self-love. Everyone will have a different design and your design, in a way, say your body shows you a difference in what it needs and what it wants as a purpose for life <laughs> or as a purpose for your body to be healthy. But you can share your experience of self-love. I can only share my story of self-love. So for me, like you said, the only thing that wakes me was human design tells me, hey, there is nothing ever was wrong with you. But what you didn't love about yourself, that's the first thing to see. Everyone can love themselves, but we don't know who to love for ourselves. We don't even know who we are. How can we know what to love about ourselves? We only see the homogenized version of ourselves. That was never lovable. That was never good enough to be lovable by whatever we were being educated and taught. So the first step is to see your body chart and see, hey, what is the not self there? What is the part you hated so much about yourself that is actually not truly you? That was a homogenized version you think you should be. And that really trapped you in that self-hatred. So to address self-love, we're firstly going to see where was the root of your pain come from, the suffering come from. And then when we intend, it's like the onion, when we peel all the layers of the not-self, that's where we come see, hey, oh, now I can see this is the unique me inside that no one else is the same as me. And mm-hmm. when you see who you truly are, when you really understand know who you, you are, that's where you can accept yourself. Because at the beginning, you are, we are just being so covered in the illusion of who we think we are with all the not-self layer of onion. So yeah, so it's like um, we're just so lost in trying to love a version that was not even true from the beginning. <laughs> and what to accept? What can we accept? There wasn't a, a something to accept even as us. Right. And we're forcing and, ourselves to accept, yeah. And, you know, kind of how I would describe it to someone, because I know when you don't know what human design is and you don't know about it, you hear people talking and it sounds like some really weird shit. So I want to make it real world for everyone. So doing my human design reading and finding out my type and how my body handles energy and what my decision making authority is and all the characteristics it tells me was kind of like in my 50s, discovering that I only had one leg. And I never knew that my whole life, right? So you have physical anatomy, you have energetic anatomy. So it was almost like I had gone through life, my whole life, and not realized that I only had one leg and kept wondering, why can't I run like everyone else? Why can't I walk up the stairs as fast as everybody else? You know, what's wrong with me? And then when I get my human design and they say, well, you only have one leg, I go, Oh, well, that makes perfect sense, you know, (laughs) and I love myself. I'm there's, you know, there's a reason that I don't function like everybody else. And so on an energetic level, that's kind of the gross analogy I would give is that 
I've always been extremely emotional. People have always comment, commented on that throughout my life. And I know this about myself, but I always wondered like, what's wrong with me? And then I discover, oh no, you're designed to do that. Like that's one of the beauties of how your energy runs is that you get to feel these big emotions, whether they're positive or negative. And that's part of the beauty of who you are. And I can see that in black and white and go, wow, that's, it is a gift, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's helped me. And I just look forward to you if you're listening and you feel intrigued by this, that you're going to uh, do a chart. Maybe you'll get a consultation and a reading with Nancy or another analyst who you find. But I just welcome every woman to be mm -hmm. empowered by understanding how her energy works and then learning how to honor that so she can balance her hormones, live more in alignment with who she really is and experience what's possible for her. What do you think? Yeah, thank you, Karen. Like if people don't really know me, I'm, I'm all profile is a human design profile six line. So normally I can be just talking about the big pictures and things, but I really love how Karen, you know, Karen, you wear a different costume. What's practical here? How do I be grounded? How do we live in the <laughs> earth? You know, with all the you know, just a real example. So that's something I really love. It's like for me, like your example of the emotionality, solar plexus, you have a divine solar plexus. So you are meant to be emotional. You are meant to have your emotional timing and you honor it and let other people honor it. But for me, say, for example, I have an undefined G-Center. So for my life, I always thought, why I never had a fixed identity? I play the different pathways and I can be leaving identity for everyone else or direction. I was always disoriented in a good way, not necessarily bad way, but just means there is a part of me, I can be anyone for everyone. And there is no fixed, oh, some people can just say, I do this the rest of my life. But for me, it was comes and goes, depending on who is here with me in my life. So it was a kind of release the first time when I hear from the analyst, my first reading with the analyst saying, hey, you are not here to be consistent in anyone. You can be an actress for anyone in any moment, as far as that gives you a sense of your satisfaction. Okay, so it's still important for me with a, as a sacral being, I have a defined sacral center to be satisfied in the experience. It's not about fixing myself in something. So it took me 30 years to realize, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. Why was I not feeling loved? Why was I never consistent in my identity or my role? Sometimes I'm with that person, I feel love. And so why when the person is gone, there is no love here. There was something emptiness inside. So it took me a while to realize, ah, okay, I can live with that. That is me. And that offers, you know, it, everything offers what we say good and bad, not necessarily in a human design term. We never say anything is good or bad. Everything is a polarity. It, there is a necessity for black and white, and there is all the color in between. So this is something for me from my undefined G is like, oh, okay. It just means I don't really need to be fixated on one kind of love. I can just be the love, period. But it doesn't have to be object. I love you or I love him. It's I love 
universal love that including myself. So there can be just many aha moment human design demystify for me to see, oh, I'm born with, we call the heartbroken hotel. <laughs> I remember the founder of human design, Ra said, if you have undefined G center, ego center, and solo plexus, you have a heartbroken hotel. It means in your life experience, your experience betray you, experience all the brokenness. You feel so broken. <laughs> so for me, it came to that moment when I realized, Oh, I can understand what Heartbroken Hotel is. And from there, going from there, I'm okay with living with what was maybe previously being broken. But actually, I'm so whole in myself when I realize that can be my gift to share my wisdom, saying, hey, this is undefined center. Now, you don't need to really have to, you know, live like everyone else. We can cope with it. If, you, mm-hmm. if it doesn't feel satisfied for you, you don't need, if you're not in the mood, you don't need to do it. It's okay. Yeah. Yes. And, and another huge gift of the human design is understanding why you ha- might have conflictual, conflicted relationships with people in your family or people mm. you work with, people in your life. It's just that you don't have a match. And so then it, it really takes the personal nature out of it. And it just kinds of becomes, well, oh, yeah, of course that round peg was not going to fit in that square hole. It's not personal. Mm. It just is. And so that was a huge gift for me also. And and hopefully for some of you listening, anything you'd like to say about that? That's also the most beautiful thing. When I say demystify, human yeah. design, demystify anything that is so personal, felt so personal at a very impersonal, logical explanation. <laughs> so for example, I think example is the best. Me and my mother, we both have total open solo plexus, means that we are not emotional person by mechanical nature, biological nature, she and me. So for all the life, childhood, I was craving for this very tribal touch, hugging, motherly love, but I can never get with her. When we together, we just don't talk anything emotional. We, we can't have this emotional communion. That difference, say, if me and Karen, we are together, I can share emotionality with you. You have a defined emotion. I get to experience emotionality through mm, your, how to say, your conditioning. What's that healthy conditioning for me to experience? But with my mother, I couldn't. So for all the years, there is this blame. She blamed me why I don't love her. I blame her why she didn't love me. Because I perceive love is the touchy, hugging, tribal, sticky with each other, the emotional communion love. I was craving for what I don't have. So that becomes a problem with blaming, shaming, guilting. And then at the same time, I, when I had my daughter who are emotional, I feel this inadequacy of, whoa, I couldn't really comfort them <laughs> at an emotional level like they can do with each other. They both are emotional beings. So there is also, if I don't know human design, I can take it very personal. Then I start went to other with the emotional training, trying to be an emotional person, <laughs> trying to understand everything about how to be emotional and trying to push myself to be someone I am not. But underneath, I have the shame. I was like, oh, I'm a mother. I should be this this mother, that one, but inside me has this cool, logical, rational coolness in me. That is my definition. That is my gift. When they are emotional, I can say, hey, sleep on it, okay? I'm not going to amplify their story. I leave them to sleep on it. Next day, they wake up. They're fine. The emotional wave gone. Then I don't need to make it personal. So those are very practical examples. I think one of the health problems, most, actually, I would say, 
the majority of the health issue, it doesn't come internally. It comes with who you live with, who you deal with in life. Because, you know, we say the health or <laughs> distorted energy can transfer to people. So if they are in a distorted version of their self, that's what we say toxic relationship. We smell something toxic. We taste something that is off. Those are all to do with people. Some people left a bad taste. Some people left a bad smell. When I say bad, I don't judge them bad. I just say people when they are living in distortion, including myself, I can leave people with a bad struggle or taste that was not for them. Pulling people into a drama that wasn't supposed for them if I'm not living correctly. So we can transfer disease, like a transfer disease to each other. And that's weird, especially when we talk about hormone related with eating disorder, always how you eat, what you eat too, solar plexus connecting to sacral. That's where you see for me, I had all the years, decades of eating disorder, living with my mother. It was very funny. There is this, she has um, always said, there is a provocative definition in her chart. Every time with her, I goes into a bloating or digestive issue. I, I had no idea why <laughs> until human design helped me to dismissify, oh, it wasn't about her. It's just this mechanic works. So next time I knew that it's not saying I don't eat with her, it's just saying I notice a symptom, you know, and I can deal with the symptom. I don't go into a story to say, hey, it's your fault or it's my fault. No, I understand mechanic. So it helps me to avoid the continuation of disorder in any way. And they're saying the eating disorder can impact how your hormone health is as well. So yeah, right. that's something to say how we can condition, program each other if you don't understand their, the importance of a relationship. <laughs> and you yeah. can understand it's not something wrong with them. It's also not something wrong with you. It's a mechanic. But if it's not correct for you, it's okay to not have the relationship or to have the relationship. Right. So good. And I wish we had more time. I'm going to invite everyone. We're going to have all uh, Nancy's information in the show notes. But some of these, the quotes that you shared with me, I'm wondering if we could talk about that before from the human design hormone perspective lens before we wrap up because they're so good. So knowledge is not power. You said that your teacher, Alok, I think his name is Alokanand. Is that correct? Mm. Yes, yeah. yes. He yes. shared that. And so what does that mean? Yeah, so for me, it basically means can we shift from the mental manipulation of what our life should be, must be, to just have this yielding, you know, earthing potential to come back to our body. To, so when it comes to a time when we're having this body says no and mind says yes, we can listen to our body. But why I want to put that quote there is because human design is such a very <laughs> complex system. It can be super intellectual. I will say every system can be so good, can be the medicine, but it's a practitioner how we apply it how we use it. So if people go into human design, we manipulate in a very intellectual way, we use knowledge as a power, then it's a, such a waste for the true essence of human design is to come back to say, okay, I show you all the knowledge to let you demystify, to unlearn to learn, to unknow to know. Can we start our day with a life we are in from a place of not knowing what my body is going to react, to respond or to initiate from here, rather than our mind going into, hey, human design tells me I'm this or that, I should do this or that. So I just say knowledge is not power just to give people a 
sort of a warning message before people coming so deep into him and say, hey, this is another intellectual knowledge. I'm going to <laughs> suck it in and use it to manipulate my life. Oh, man, that will make me, uh, how to say, uh, it will make me feel very heartbroken because it's not about it. So that's why I put that quote there. Yeah, yeah. I love that because it, it is very intellectual, but in terms of living it, there's no map because it's in your body. And so that's something I'm working on learning. That's very powerful. And then you shared this other quote from Ra. It says, if you let others be who they are for themselves and let yourself be who you are for yourself, this is love. Rest is distortion. Is it the rest is distortion? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So can you talk about what that means? I think there's a beautiful quote for relationship because lots of people coming in, no matter what kind of illness you have, there's always aspect of relationship. We are interdependent species. We are not living totally in isolation by ourselves. So their quote is soft. I think that their quote solved the answer to every relationship. When you say, how do I make a relationship work? The only answer is, okay, be yourself first. <laughs> Very simple. If you can be yourself, then you see, hey, there's nothing wrong with me. And then you start, oh, understand, you are not normal just as the other person is not as normal. You are so different just as another person is so different from you. When you appreciate your differentiated self, you accept your abnormality in being you. You can never be the same as everyone or common. So you don't put expectation for the other person to be the same as you. That's, there is this mutual acceptance or respect coming out from that. But that can only happen when you're truly living correctly as you. It means you're truly being you. You're satisfied with being you. You feel successful with peace with yourself. Then you can have a peace with the other person being them, even though they can be so different. Like my daughter can be so different from me. My mother can be so different. But now I realize, hey, I don't have a problem with them being different to me because I don't have a problem with me not the same as them anymore. So that's where there is a possibility for love to start from here. The true, I would say the true equilibrium of you are a human just as I am. Underneath our differences, we have certain thing that is fundamental. You are human body, I'm a human body. We all have longing and suffering and craving for love, for communion. But how you taste, how you like something, like say in terms of taste, how I like apple is different from how I dislike orange. You know, that's two different things. And there is no right and wrong with why you taste something, why I don't taste something. We don't judge that. Just because it's not saying mm, we try to not judge it. It's very different from using intellectual knowing, force ourselves to say, I need to appear to be non judgmental. It's just saying, naturally, <laughs> you don't feel I need to judge it. My truth is my truth. <laughs> okay, your truth is yours. It's okay. You Just because you like Apple, have no issue with I, I don't like Apple. You know, that's what I mean by this quote. Yeah. It's beautiful. And before we wrap up, a little light question. It's not a light question. <laughs> is that, you know, the judgmentalism and the intolerance that we're experiencing right now seems like it's out of control. And, you know, I think that on the macro reflects what's on the micro. And so I think that most of us are very judgmental and intolerant of differences. And we think that everyone should think like us and be like us. So <laughs> how do we start to untangle this for ourselves 
And once we realize, oh, wow, this is affecting me negatively. It's affecting my health because I'm judging everyone around me. I'm not letting people be who they are. I'm not accepting them. I'm not loving them. And it's affecting my health. How, how do people start to untangle that? It can be very simple, also complex. So what I see from a global level, a big picture level, the whole homogenization, but then it comes to the end now is collective. Judgment is a collective. We, in human design chart, we say judgment is on the collective circuit. But collective means collective strangers made by each multiple diverse individual. So in a way, when we are more judgmental, it also means social media, you know, how the advanced knowledge of globalization allows us to speak our voice from each individual, you know, TikTok, everything, social media out there allowing the individual expression of themselves. But then we realize, hey, everyone is different. <laughs> everyone is individual. So that's a beginning seed saying when you see the other seed is different. Yeah, we firstly come with a judgment. It's like there's nothing wrong with judgment. But then it's very interesting thing. When you judge, there's a place we pull back because we still have our tribal conditioning, cultural conditioning. See, hey, where does my judgment come from? Is that a judgment from my tribal belief? Say, oh, I believe men should marry women. Oh, I believe that men should never betray, women should never betray each other. Does my believe come from, say for me, Chinese system of, you know, how marriage should be. Where does my judgment come from? So you can trace back to the root of where the seed, because even you have a seed as individual, underneath the seed of the tree, there's a root still bundled into a certain bundle you come from, the cultural country or generational epigenetic. So that's something we, we say we can trace back to it. To see it in a, I would say, positive way is saying the more judgment you see, you also can see there is more individual there. So when the individual voice comes from their individualism, yeah, there is an opinion. It's good to have opinion. Why? When there is a globalization, we understand how there is another taste there. We can have a fusion of food. There is a possibility for invention, innovation that never has it before. So it's about, hey, is that okay? We can have a curiosity or openness to opinion. Means other people can reject you too. Are we open to rejection from outside? So that means when you hear the other people's opinion, we can debate, but debate for fun, not debate for I am better, I am the only right one. Not coming to a debate of tribal ego, ego debate, who is better or who is worse in a competitive way. It's about your choose and my choose both stand in itself. I'm so fun to see your perspective in your way. And I'm so fun to learn about where your perspective come from, from your culture, your country. Oh, now I taste a different food I never tasted before without necessarily judging it by my standard. So mm -hmm. that's something difference between, I would say, positive judgment to see the difference. Judgment firstly to pin the difference. Then we study the difference. Then we have a curious, curious, a curiosity for wonder. You know, that wonder brings a possibility for the collective human to move towards mutation. How can we have a world of diversity? You know, mm -hmm. then also honor the similarity. Because even though you can trace back that person, why they agree this marriage or disagree that marriage, but underneath there can be this fundamentality of as a human, we're just simply craving for love, craving for recognition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. So they, these are big topics that we won't solve tonight, but hopefully you've gotten something out of tonight's discussion. 
I think if you're called to investigate human design, I invite you to do that. It really has been a game changer for me. I wish I had investigated it when I heard about it eight years ago, but I did not. So it took me many years to come to it. And then I'm thinking, where has this been all my life? Oh my gosh, it's just been a game changer. So if you feel called to investigate it, I invite you to check out the resources we have in the show notes. Where can people connect with you, find out more about the work that you do, Nancy? Please tell them all the places to find you. Oh, yes. I have a website called uh, beingdifferent.design. Yeah, so that's where people can find me. That's my cave, <laughs> my heart meeting cave. Yeah. Okay, great. And we will have the link in the show notes. Thank you so much, Nancy, for your journey, for your wisdom, for your just beautiful willingness to share this incredible perspective that you have, uh, depth of knowledge of human design and wisdom to share with everyone. I very much appreciate it. Thank you so much, Karen. And thank you for joining me for another episode of The Hormone Prescription with Dr. Kieran. Hopefully you've loved this episode as much as I have and you're inspired to take some action that will help you with your hormones and your health so that you can experience the brilliant health that you deserve. I'll see you next week for another episode. Until then, peace love and hormones y'all thank you so much for listening i know that incredible vitality occurs for women over 40 when we learn to speak hormone and balance these vital regulators to create the health and the life that we deserve If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love it if you'd give me a review and subscribe. It really does help this podcast out so much. You can visit thehormoneprescription.com where we have some free gifts for you. And you can sign up to have a hormone evaluation with me on the podcast to gain clarity into your personal situation. Until next time, remember, take small steps each day to balance your hormones and watch the wonderful changes in your health that begin to unfold for you. Talk to you soon.